Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we do not have David, nor do we have Freddy. Because right now, while we're filming this, or recording this, I should say, because we're not filming anything. But right now, while we're recording this, it's their fucking birthday right now. So shout out to them. Happy birthday. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Isn't that Merry Christmas? Uh, yeah. Uh, Feliz, Feliz Cumpleaños. <laughs> 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 Obviously, we need Freddy, but that disembodied voice over there alongside me is Drew. Hello, friend. Hey, what's going on? This is Silent Night. Silent Night, also known as Silent Night. So for our patrons, y'all probably heard his voice once before, but since folks are not here, our regular co-host, he's filling in for them, which shouts the fuck out. Let's show him some love, y'all. Let's show him some love. We are a group of nights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the doctors envelope you. You can support the show over on patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's not with the wood. Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, finishing off our grief month, also known as Good Grief. <laughs> this month has been fucking insane. Like it, like we started with the Night House, which was nuts. Yeah, that um, thing kicked it off like real it, good. It really did. Like it was just we we came in like kicking teeth in with that one. Um, then we had the Headhunter, which I was not there for that episode. Um, but Dave uh, and Freddie holding it down. Dave and Freddie holding it fucking down. Then we had Coco D Coco Da which was an interesting look on grief in general and uh, more specifically grief for a child in general. Like it, it's such an interesting film, but this time around, before I even talk about the film that we are talking about tonight, I want to give a special shout out to our patrons, Alexis, Heather, Johnny, Layla, Dylan, Eric, Kelly, Brenna, Daniel, T with Rain, David. I would say thank you, David, but he's not here, so fuck David. Carrie, Stu, Brandon, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew. Thank you, Drew. Hey, most, <laughs> most welcome. Andrew, Scary Stuff Podcast, Samantha, uh, Patrick, uh, hello, Taylor, Jessica, Sandy, Jared, Pedra, Jasmine, Chantel, Rio, Mark, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, Eric, Dave, Freddie. I would say thank you, Freddie, but he's not here right now, too. So fuck you, Freddie. And my mom, Lola. Now, it's it's interesting. We're used to seeing my grandma in there. She deleted her patronage. I was probably hey, like, I'm like, yo, grandma, what? She deleted her patronage. All right. I'll see you, grandma. I'll see you. Way to support the boy. <laughs> thank you, ghoulish nights. Thank you. Couldn't do it without you. Seriously. No, seriously. Absolutely. Thank y'all so much. It. This has been a wild ride in general. Wow. They are really smashing those those hammers down there. Um, but no, seriously, thank y'all so much uh, for providing us with this platform and just allowing us to just do this. It, it's seriously every single day I pinch myself because of the fact that I can't believe that I get to have this platform to just talk about horror films, just have a good time. And thank y'all so much for supporting us financially and allowing us to do this at a larger scale than what we were currently doing at. Uh, like we started this podcast in my kitchen. Like 
That's how this started. And it was, it went from my passion project right there. Super passionate, right? Like start from my kitchen equipment, breaking down and shit. And now we're here from the support of all of you. And this has been an absolute incredible journey and I cannot wait to continue growing with all of you. So thank you. But the film to end off our month for good grief is absentia. And this episode is also once again going to be brought to you by Mental Health and Horror, the a documentary. Um, by all means, check it out. We're going to have it in the show notes. Check it all out so we can go ahead and uh, make sure they get that support that they need because it's going to be so fucking important to watch that documentary. I guarantee it. I have not seen it yet, but I'm very excited to watch it as well. But Absentia, first and foremost, thoughts. Thoughts. Absentia really hit a few notes that I didn't expect. I uh, would tell you that after my first watch, I needed some time to digest it, to be very honest. Sure. Was that because of the subject matter or was that because of just like you just needed a little bit of time to give yourself like, like, I don't know how I feel about this film. Yeah, from the surface level, Mike Flanagan, you know, coming from some of his more recent projects wanted to understand his vision. Yeah. So seeing Absentia, going back and seeing some of his other projects, try to really understand again what he he really focuses a lot on profiles and developing these stories and really honing in on the, the connection between you and the characters. Right. King of monologues. You know what I'm saying? So a good monologue in retrospect, you know, I watched this a couple times in preparation for this, and the second time was a lot more thrilling. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, right? And so the how many first times time, did you watch this, up about about the third one was three more, times more, more so skipping oh, through. Shit, <laughs> yeah, we try we try to surround ourselves with the material before we get into it. That's all, definitely. And I know I'm like when I'm fucking doing all of these, I am like head deep into it and that's all that's on my mind for like a week so i get it right i definitely get it i I would say absentia really had a a positive reflection on uh my take with with mike flanagan i got a lot more respect for his process and seeing some of the behind the scenes which we could talk about a little later it gave me a better understanding of of how he runs his business so i'm all for him mike flanagan for the win Dude, seriously, like, honestly, I, and as y'all know, like, Mike Flanagan is my favorite director of all time. Like, I love Mike Flanagan to absolute death. And I, I, I find his work to just be so passionate and so, so approachable in some ways. And that, that's weird to say because we, we do have things like Hush and Gerald's Game and things like that. But at the same time, like, that still feels approachable to me. Like, it's surprising when certain things happen, like the degloving scene and um, in uh, Dr. Sleep and inside of Gerald's game and things like that. Like, yeah, you're just like, oh, fuck. But at the same time, like there's just moments in there that felt so approachable and that feels like, like you can relate. And I feel like the same goes for Absentia. Like when when I first watched Absentia, I, I, watched, I watched this back in college, pretty much when it came out on DVD. My roommate at the time uh, was a Kickstarter 
for this project. And when they kickstart, when they helped kickstart this project, they got the DVD, whatever. We watched it. Um, when I first watched it, I was like, "Oh man, this is quite amateur." Like it felt, it felt very amateur to me. But just by the way it was pretty much shot and things were framed and and things like that, that part felt amateur. But yet the acting felt so fucking good. Like this is a movie that looked like a B movie. Yeah, I really wish. The acting is just so on point. I was able to be part of that Kickstarter. I did not know about those yeah. options. But wow. you're, you're you're right with the with the acting. I think a portion of this screenplay was written around the characters and right. Mike Flanagan having relationships. Yeah, th- that's with a plus. these with these actors. Right, he was able to write kind of toward their strengths, which mm. really plays 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 really well. Completely agree. I mean, with someone like Katie Parker who I would love to see in a leading role again inside of a Mike Flanagan project because I feel like she has so much range and we she's the chameleon of the Mike Flanagan project. Like, she's in almost every single Mike Flanagan project. And, like, no one knows it's her. Same thing goes for his brother, like his brother Jamie. Um, but, like, those two are, like, the ultimate chameleons in any Mike Flanagan project where in, like, Haunting of Hill House, I believe her name was... Um, I blanking out what her name was in Hunting of Hills, but I want to say it was like Dottie or something like that. I'm blanking out hardcore, but uh, Poppy. Um, Poppy. I was close, <laughs> but Poppy. Um, but like her and Pop, when we see Poppy talking to the mom in Hunting of Hill House, like, fuck, dude, that scene was so chilling and so, so in some ways thrilling because she had so much range. And I just, I want to see her as a lead in a Mike Flanagan project again, because I think she would fucking absolutely crush it again. So I, I don't know. I, I think, I think her playing Callie was a really great choice and a really strong choice. And same thing with uh, Courtney Bell, because using the effect of Courtney Bell's um, pregnancy, her being seven months, seven months pregnant, using that to the advantage of the character who was stressed and high strung and things like that and allowing her to, have her emotions validated in this way genius really genius like use the pregnancy to your benefit for that character like when she would cry i genuinely thought she was actually crying because like no she doubt. probably had so many hormones pumping through her body <laughs> I, I cannot imagine like it's just it's incredible though to to ha- utilize a character such as that who is pregnant to your advantage to really portray what you're trying to say, what you're trying to do. Um, I am curious, like what a lot of these people are doing now, like Justin Gordon and things like that. Like, I am curious, like what they're all off doing. Cause I know Justin Gordon was uh, in before I wake as well. Um, Dr. Tennant. Yeah. Dr. Tennant and before I wake. Um, so like, I've, I'm curious if they would ever kind of come back to a Mike Flanagan project. I think that was the last one that he was in. Um, same thing with uh, Dave Levine, who played Detective Mallory. Um, I honestly I, think if the whole crew got back together for a, a, not an essential remake, but a different type of film, they would have a, a pretty good dynamic from the history they've had together. Yeah, you know, I would I would hope so. Like, I mean, Mike Flanagan's definitely making a lot of cool projects right now. I mean, he, he is having that kind of that, that teen thriller, that young adult thriller that's coming out soon uh, later this year. Uh, the Midnight Club, um, and the next year we have the House of uh, the House of Fallen Usher or House of the Usher. I'm, I'm blanking out on the name, but um, like we have so many Mike Flanagan projects that are just in the works right now, which is 
so fucking cool. Like, it's just so cool to just see him constantly pump the fall of the House of Usher. I was okay. That was close. The fall but, of the House of like, Usher. It's really cool to just see all of that just kind of transpire. And, and even the fact that he's given like his friends opportunities, so many opportunities to uh, direct a lot of his work, which is so fucking cool. Like the Midnight Club, for example, he only directed two episodes. He's just show running. Okay. And a lot of his friends directed other episodes. And I think that is so cool. And, and even friends of ours who are friends of the show and things like that, like um, Axel Carolyn, for example, shout out to Axel. Um, but like she directed multiple Mike Flanagan projects. Um, uh, well, by multiple, I think she only directed two, but she directed a couple of Mike Flanagan projects. Um, and I think that is just so cool. And it's just so interesting to, to have this as a backbone and by this, I mean Absentia as a backbone to where he first started. That is so fucking cool to me. Is there a commonality or a framework that directors need to have to take over a Mike Flanagan production and just run I with feel, it? I feel like it's it's not much. Like you can really tell when Mike Flanagan's um, persona is on something. For example, he directed all of Midnight Mass and him directing all of Midnight Mass. Like you can tell that that was personal. Right. Like you can really tell that like this story needed to be told by him from his lens from start to finish. But like when you get something like Haunting of Blind Manor and you get um, certain episodes, excuse me, certain episodes that have just a, a, a different type of gusto, you can tell that like Mike Flanagan's hands are still involved in it. But at the same time, like you can also tell that Mike Flanagan um, has this uh, pullback. At the same time, like you can tell someone else is also kind of doing this. Someone else is directing this. It, it, it doesn't feel completely like this is Mike Flanagan's project um, entirely. Like it, it feels shared. It feels like a collaboration um, versus in just being um, uh, Mike Flanagan's vision from start to finish. Like it, it feels like he did take on some pointers and things like that from other uh, filmmakers and things like that uh, for like The Haunting of Bly Manor and so on and so forth. But as you all know, I could talk about fucking Mike Flanagan for days expect i'm telling you i'm you know what? i'm claiming it right now i'm claiming it right what fucking are you claiming now, everybody what is he i'm claiming this now i will by the end of this year i will interview mike flaggett for the show by the end of 2022 by the end of 2022 i will have mike flaggett on the show he will be interviewed on the show Guaranteed. Attention, Mike Flanagan. You will be on the show. You'll be on the show. Get ready. Have your people contact my people, i.e. me, and we'll set it up. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. It's going to be one for the ages. It will be. It will be, and I'm excited for it. But let's go ahead and jump into this shit. Absentia. Directed by Mike Flanagan, released March 3rd, 2011, with a runtime of one hour and 31 minutes, a budget of $70,000 with no box office found, um, and a rating of 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well fucking deserved. Yes. And like, yes. wow. 87%? 87%. That's incredible. That's insanity. Wow. We open to our title shot coming in front of a tunnel, transition to a missing poster of Daniel Riley, his pregnant wife, Trisha, putting up a fresh poster, repeating this as she goes around um, post to post, taking the withered ones down and putting up new ones. Right off the bat, 
we're already getting fantastic storytelling here. 100%. You can see how degraded those previous posters, posters were. She's continuously, she's got a whole freaking sack full of new posters she's putting up. It's as if this is clockwork. Yeah. So they're, it, they're going from, you know, pole to pole. This is definitely something that she's done before. Absolutely. And I, I find this to be a really incredible way for her to have this be her position of where we see her grieve. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. It's fucking terribly sad. And it's also amazing, though. Like, it, it, it is amazing. Back at her apartment, her sister Callie knocks on the door, but Trisha isn't home yet. So she sits down, puts on some music, and smokes a cigarette while she waits on her stoop. Watching a man drop something off in, in, front, of the, in front of the tunnel, Trisha walks uh, through, the, through the dark and damp tunnel back. Spotting her sister smiling as she approaches her, they hug and greet each other, Trisha hoping that she didn't keep her waiting long. Callie comments that it's fine, asking about... Uh, where she can, uh, uh, where she came from through the tunnel. Trisha quickly explains that there's a park on the other side before Callie excitedly brings up her pregnant belly. After she congrats, uh, she congratulates Trisha. They are silent for a moment before she invites Callie inside. Once again, another fantastic moment here. We can tell that like, okay, they haven't seen each other in a while, right? They're catching up. Yeah. It seems like they have got a great dynamic right off the bat. It does, and you can tell that there's also something that feels slightly missing, right? Like, you you can kind of tell that, like, okay, they're, they're feeling great by seeing each other, but at the same time, like, there also feels like they have a lot of catching up to do. Oh, sure. They've got some history, and right. the, the history could still be alive and well today, so they're kind of tiptoeing yeah. around. They know the more they dive in, the more they're going to... Uh, unveil their past potentially yeah absolutely there's a really cool post on twitter i want to say maybe a year or two ago where um this guy posted a picture of his apartment he was like i think this apartment was mike flanagan's apartment and mike flanagan saw it and he was like that was my apartment oh no joke like are the holes still on xyz side and he was like yeah i was like yep that's it (laughs) Is that the apartment shot? It's the apartment that this movie shot in. (laughs) Yes. It is crazy. It is fucking crazy. Um, Inside, they are chatting about Callie's drive. Trisha not expecting her until later this afternoon. Callie explains that she drove all night after hitting uh, Tuscan. She notices the stacks of posters inside Trisha's bag. Trisha admits that it's the last of them, suggesting that they do... um, that they do something formal. She gestures some sort of release. Uh, Kelly agrees, Trisha hugging her, telling her that it's good to see her. So at this point in time, we're kind of getting the, the, those notions that, okay, he is, um, she's giving up, right? Like she's, she's starting to, she's starting to kind of give up hope at this point in time. Oh, sure. She was, she was traveling. She's looking for family. She needs some assistance in this current time in her life. But she also knows what her sister's been going through. Right. And so I, I feel like, again, she's, hopefully she seems like she's not going to be a burden, but she's really trying to understand where she's at. It's like, hey, sister, how's it been going? I uh, <laughs> hope you have room for me because I don't have any place to stay, that kind of thing. Right. Because she, she really comes in just like kind of out of nowhere, which is like, oh, shit, like I haven't even cleaned my fucking house yet. Like, I mean, you can see based off her bag and the way they've got, these shots at the beginning, they're kind of focusing on some of the 
grungier aspect. She's got these right, right, leather right. boots on. They've got scuffs all over and her bag's a little dirty. She kind of looks like a traveler. Yeah, she, she she looks like uh, someone who drifts for sure and just kind of drifts along. Um, and it's not at this point in time that we know that she's also dealing with addiction. But um, I, I find this whole aspect of the uh, process of just trying to help your sibling in tough times or in shitty moments or whatever, I always find that to be such a fascinating play because I feel like I've been in the same predicament um, where you are sometimes in that moment where it's just like, should I just give up? Like, should I, should I give up on this person? Is this person worth my time? Is this person worth my, my love and things like that? And like, you can tell that Trisha here is, is in some ways just like, I'm trying. I'm going to at least try for my sister at this point in time um, because I feel like she has nobody else and she's going to need me. All right. Yeah, she's definitely trying to be a positive influence and we'll provide her a clean space to be able to kind of get recuperated, get back on her feet again potentially. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Trisha shows Callie to her room, commenting about the futons um, she would be staying on. Callie cutting her off that it's fine, pulling out a teddy bear and a children's book, Three Billy Goats Gruff, from her bag for uh, for Trisha's unborn baby. Fucking genius move here as well, showing the book being our story that we already are about to get ourselves into right. with the troll under the bridge and things like that. So fucking cool shit, man. I, I a, really, really love that. It's a fun-ass front, front image right there. Three Billy Goats Gruff. Three Billy Goats Gruff. You could easily apply those three Billy Goats to the three characters. Absolutely. You can apply it to Callie, Trisha, and Daniel. You could even flip it and, and say Mallory too, right? Like Mallory in some ways is affected by this too because he loves Trisha. So, I mean, it's... You it's four Billy Goats? Well, that's the thing. Like you can replace Daniel with Mallory is what I'm saying. Okay. Instead of him, uh, I guess, being... Uh, it being Daniel, but I, I truly think it's Daniel because Daniel's the one who got fucking pulled in and did all this other shit by the whatever that thing is, the insect troll. <laughs> to my knowledge, yeah, it refers to as the underneath. And right. The, the form that it is able to inhabit is somewhat of a insect. The chirp. <laughs> um, I, I can't even do the chirp, so I'm not even going to attempt it. Uh, Trisha loves the sentiment. Cut to uh, Trisha pouring Callie some wine. Um, and I love the photos here, like when they're kind of sifting through the photos. Um, and it's like not the greatest Photoshop job, but like I fucks with it. Like I right, fucks with this it. This one right here with got the, <laughs> the brick background and the two girls, obviously from different time periods. For sure. One of them's wearing a straight up. Was that pajamas? No, that's a dress. Uh, yeah, it looks like a, a dress. corduroy jacket with the... <clears throat> Yeah, they, they definitely just look like put on front, put on back. <laughs> like, let's just cut this out. Let's not try to mimic the scenery at all. But like, it, it, it shows you, though, how amateurly authentic this is. Oh, yeah. And I this, think that is the coolest shit ever, and it gives it so much charm. Oh, yeah. This movie shows its true true form many a time, and I take no offense. I Yeah, 100% not. I mean, if we even think about it, 2011 – for horror during this time like fuck dude like the w there was so much shit that was out around this time and i'm looking it up right now well, i don't get any haters out there but i mean i feel like any leprechaun movie is harder to watch than this 
Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Um, but like, this was a heavy fucking year for 2011. Like, we had the Cabin in the Woods, you're next. Um, we are not going to talk about those other ones. Uh, Sleep Tight was another one that was Human also really Centipede great. Centipede 2. Uh, Classic. Fright Night, Hostel Part 2. Or is that part three? No, part three, uh, which I actually have never seen. I didn't so know they made a part three. Tenon gets cut? I don't know. I haven't seen part three, actually. Now that I think about it. Um, so, like, oh, The Awakening was great. Scream fucking five. four. Scream fucking four came out in 2011. You're just having a ride on this history train right here. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it, this was a, a, in, in some ways a mediocre year in horror but um, you had these films that came out around this time where you had some fucking hitters you had some sleepers and some but in some ways like you just you really had this um, these more uh, what's the word I'm looking for higher budget horror films I guess in some well, ways. sure all of these look like they've got a pretty set amount of CG along with the acting rapport. Right. At this point, these folks haven't been in just one film. Right. Even, again, Human Centipede 2. It's got a remake. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But, yeah. <laughs> um, Kelly making sure that she's okay not drinking, um, not wanting to tempt her. Trisha comments, and this is also great de- attention to detail here. Um Excuse me. Trisha comments that she's fine with that, uh, with uh, with her apple cider. Wondering if it will if it will mess with Callie's sobriety. Callie squints that they're good as she takes a sip. Trisha shares that she's uh, she's good that there's that she's or that she's glad that she's there. Knowing about Vermont, Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania, and their mom saying something about North Dakota. Callie laughs that she lived in her car in the Badlands for a hike, but she was in Ohio for a few months. Then she was off to Louisiana. Calling it amazing, Trisha asking if it, uh, uh, if, if that was a good clinic. Callie ignores the question, changing the topic to Trisha's pregnancy, uh, wondering who he is, asking if their mom would freak out. This is interesting, right? Like we are getting so much uh, audio candy at this point, right? And I feel like the whole movie does this. You really got to be in your A game to understand where they're where they're coming from, right? Like there, there's so much um, like exposition in this moment that is happening where, like, okay, she was a drifter, and on top of her drifting, like she went to a clinic for. Something like at this point in time, we still don't know that she has an addiction to drugs and that she's in recovery. No, um, so not a clear understanding at all, right? So, like, we, we get that later. And when you think about this film in retrospect, it's a lot of really interesting contexts that we have uh, seen about that. Trisha comments that she's uh, she was thrilled, but uh, she hasn't told her dad yet. Callie doesn't care about care about him. Trisha drops it, wanting to talk about it later, excusing herself to clean up the kitchen. She jokingly calls Trisha a whore. Trisha throws the joke the uh, joking insult back at her, calling her a drug addict, and that's where we get the bo- the boom, where it's just like <laughs> fuck. We find out she's a drug addict, sisterly love from a joke, like like a harsh one. But damn, I mean, for sure, you're gonna you're gonna throw throw that shade at your 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 fucking sibling. Sure, you're gonna make the dig. You expect to dig back, but it's up to That's her fair. to defend her her honor. And <clears throat> if she's been working on herself, then being called a drug addict, drug addict probably isn't the worst thing she's heard. Probably not. Uh, hopefully not. 
Uh, but I'm sure in some way, and her even being called a whore. I mean, what would you rather be, a whore or a drug addict? I don't know. I probably neither, but <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm not I'm not too entirely sure on that question. Uh, <laughs> while Trisha is doing the dishes, Kelly is reminding is reminiscing about the last time she was there, figuring uh, figuring that it was about five years ago. It looking the same. Trisha reminds her that it was right before she took off. Kelly comments about. Um, about her taking her wedding pictures down, um, Trisha shares that she didn't want to change anything at first in case he just walked in one day. Trisha shares that she d- she didn't want to change. It. Oh, excuse me. Callie looks over at a photo of, of Daniel spotting the form of uh, for the death of in absentia. Interesting. All right, you've got a file for the death by absentia. You know what is the official meaning of absentia? I was going to be looking at this in great detail, but does state while not present at the event being referred to while not present at the event. Being referred to. Interesting. So it's not, it, it, it's like, it's like not even a one word sentence. It's like in absentia. Hey man, I was at that uh, flea market and you were completely absentia. What happened to you? <laughs> I died. <laughs> In absentia. I died in a tunnel, man. What the fuck you expect from me? <laughs> she questions this, knowing that it was it was going to be going to be paperwork, not realizing it. Trisha's uh, not wanting to really talk about it much. Quickly agrees. Callie noticed uh, the final notice bill on the table, and this is fucking sad because if you really look at that final notice here, it is not that much money. It's a hundred and thirty six dollars. Yeah. And that sucks that she's really that, like, that forking for cash right now. Like, either that or she's contemplating. Maybe she doesn't have a problem with money, and maybe she's just contemplating. It's just like, fuck, I don't know if I want to do this or not. Because it's the, uh, I want to say it's like a, is it a medical bill or something? Or, like, a notice from, like, a physician or some shit? Um, But... It's just super interesting. They sit back down. Trisha shares that once uh, that once the paper goes in, the police will issue a death certificate, having to give that to the insurance companies and creditors, and affecting a lot. Uh, it affecting a lot. Callie asks about about them not thinking thinking that after seven years he was going to come back. Trisha so, so, somberly explains that it is, diff- it is a different deal when declaring someone as dead, that being the reason why you have to wait seven years. Callie understands asking about the posters. Trisha admits that she's uh, she's used to the habit of going out of going out there and putting them up since she has so many. Callie is confused that she put, she put up new ones. Trisha acknowledges that, that these are the last ones burning one of the posters. Callie puts another on top, wanting to ask her something. Wanting to ask her something. Trisha allows it. Callie wants to know what she thinks. She shakes her head, believing that Daniel left because they were fighting, um, it being it being marriage growing pains. Then she thought of amnesia, him wandering off with no memory and starting over. A blurry montage of Daniel living living on with his life after an incident plays while Trisha continues speaking on the incident. She goes over another scenario about him being an NSA agent, checking in from time to time, the whole first year just pondering what, what could have possibly happened. <laughs> an NSA agent, huh? Right, I mean, like all's gonna go through your head at this point. Seven years, if you've been, been invested in someone, yeah, you you can assume the worst. 
It's true. And at this point, if she felt like he loved her enough to protect her belief for a role like that. And at some point, Without it's going to just show shit. up. Just like, I'm a, I love you, baby, but I'm out. <laughs> like, you never what know. the hell? It's I can, interesting. I can't tell you unless I kill you. <laughs> Yeah, because like it, it, it's such an interesting take on how she assumed this and how she was just like for her trying to piece together just to make her grief that much easier to swallow. Right. Because like she's she's missing someone, but on a whole different molecular level where she's missing someone that truly doesn't she doesn't have an official answer of like, is this person dead? Is this person alive? Like, what happened? Right. If you've got a loved one that's in a coma for up to seven years, you're witnessing their vessel and you've got an option to make a decision. Right. That's best for, you know, all parties. And we, we've seen that in like the dead zone, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, this person's literally been MIA for seven years. And you're like, well, my life's got to. Got to get back. She is fairly young. Right. So she wants to to take advantage of her fertility and going through the different motions of, you know, building a family. I think that's what she was intending for. Yeah. So this is really tough. The seven years probably was excruciating to know that well, you got an opportunity to yeah. nullify this, but you can only do it within seven years if this person doesn't show up. Just imagine. I mean... Yeah, like I, I can't, I can't imagine it, right? Like I, I've never been in a situation quite like this. Um, but it's interesting to even think about. Super interesting. Every time I think of seven years, though, I'm gonna, this quick tangent, I always think of the Sailson song. <laughs> Taking on seven years. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Fucking emails for life. A quick cut of Daniel being zipped into a body bag. Callie remembered Daniel uh, being sweet to her, calling her a kid um, and not staring. She liked him. Trisha adding that he would he would be proud of her cleaning up so well. Callie agreeing, knowing that he would. This allowing her to go with that version of Daniel being happy, alive, and okay. She assures Trisha that she will uh, help with the paperwork and help her look for a new place, letting her know that she's there for her. Trisha wondering what is next for her, though. Cut to Trisha meditating in her room while Callie unpacks her things and puts up a cross on the wall. She finds a box of her drugs inside of her suitcase, making sure her sister isn't coming in, hiding it underneath the bed, drowning down, uh, drowning down the urge by praying. Later that night, Trisha is asleep as someone is softly sobbing in the doorway. Fuck. Yeah, this is where it starts to pick up. And this Dude. is where the movie has these flavors of like, you know, just... Real angst. Yeah, that is a perfect way of putting it because it, it it has this, at this point in time, like the buildup is like getting a little bit more and more and more vicious and intense. Like th- these are my favorite burn. part right here. Burn to this. Absolutely. And, and, and I love this aspect of horror that we're getting because this is, this is potentially my favorite part of the film where we get these kind of, uh, I'll call it background horror because like he's not he's not in focus, he's blurred out, uh he's not the main center of attention here yet he is the main scare. Mike Flanagan 
lets you define what you think that is, which it's it's ingenious. It is. You, you have to make any form whatsoever, just a blurry silhouette with some creepy noises. But based off of what we've seen already in this film, you could apply only one silhouette to that, and you're just you're thinking, "What the fuck? This person's been missing." <laughs> There'd yeah. be no way that asshole's in here right now. Oh my god! And it's just like it's, it's fucking genius, dude. Like, and we 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 this is the last time we've seen Mike Flanagan do something like this, and the second time we've seen him do something quite like this, it was definitely a lot more subtle. Um, where it's like if you see it, great, but it was the Haunting of Hill House, right? Where people were trying their best to count as many ghosts that they can find in the background as possible, and they were fucking terrifying. But yet, it was so genius right so genius and i I, god damn it shoot this is a obviously a fucking mike flanagan stan podcast but jesus christ flana stands um she she wakes up from from the noise the person uh walking away going to check it out she turns on the light over the stairs spotting the man crying as he walks into the living room she goes down the steps believing it to be her husband she calls out to him she he stands with his back turned toward the curtain she moves closer to him Touching his shoulder, he's automatically turned around. Mouth agape, as he screeches and reaches for her, she moves She moves back, Daniel now behind her, grabbing her. Trisha frantically wakes up from the nightmare. Next day, Callie leaves out of the apartment for a run. She puts her headphones on, running towards a tunnel underneath the freeway. She continues running through the damp tunnel, leaving, uh, leaving out through a washed-out exit. And this feels so symbolic, right? Like, her running out to the end of the tunnel, like go towards the light and things like that. Like we hear that time and time again, when, uh, when we hear metaphors of us dying or whatever. Um, and that felt like that metaphor, right? Like she was running towards her death at that point. That's a good way to think about it. I didn't actually view it that way. And, uh, I mean, by all means, you continue to, to blow my mind. I wanted to point out, though, that he said the crying from Daniel. It's more of like a whimpering. That that fool yeah. was literally was more of a. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Dude was not not feeling so well. It was interesting, but you got Callie here. Yeah, as you as you mentioned, she's running, and this tunnel is one of the main horror focuses of the entire movie like everything that goes into this tunnel either disappears or starts to get influenced right and Callie is one of the main contributors to this influence yeah and 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 it all starts with that trade right like that that whole thing of just like trading with it and all of that it's it's interesting and it was like an accidental trade I guess I see what you're talking about here they got this this nice contrast of of light Starts to blow herself out, right? And she's going to be entering this. Yeah, she's 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 starting a new leaf, right? Exactly. She continues running past lost pet signs, eventually making it to the hill overlooking um, the Hollywood sign in L.A. While uh, running back home, she makes it back to the tunnel, uh, walking this time around. She sees a man pass out in the middle of the tunnel. She tries wake, uh, walking past him, but he wakes up, startling her. Callie apologizes. He pleads for her, or he pleads for her help, asking if she uh, if she sees him. She claims to not have anything to give him. He tells her to wait. The man commenting that um, that it is sleep 
sleeping, but she doesn't understand. He sees a watch on the ground telling her to trade. She apologizes that she doesn't uh, have anything while uh, trying to make her escape. He tells her uh, that his name is Walter Lambert. She pro- she promises to bring some bring him something back later. He shouts for her to wait, wanting her to give a message to his son Jamie. His echoes immediately stopping as as she runs out of the tunnel. Meanwhile, Trisha is with Detective Mallory, going over the missing persons report. Callie bursts into the house, apologizing and about to explain what she just experienced, but decides not to greeting both of them instead trisha introduces mallory to uh, introduces mallory to her callie wondering if if he's the guy uh, that she first met but he explains that he uh, was assigned to the case a few years ago he claims to be excited to meet her admitting that he's heard a lot about her she doesn't understand why i love how she says she's like really why i was like that's a great fucking question yeah right like, you've well, been talking about me <laughs> that's the first time i met you right like this is it, you're a cop this is great this is great i, lo- I love that uh, i have always been curious too as to why she didn't say what she experienced in there i found that so curious like interesting as to why she didn't say what happened to them well but i mean i mean granted it's it's a new person standing in her fucking living room in her sister's living room like I probably wouldn't have said anything toward him either, but you're talking about Callie just interacting with this person in the tunnel, right? Right. Oh, no, no, no. Leaving, leaving out and coming home. Like when she comes home uh, from here, like in the tunnel, like it, this feels like an everyday thing for people where people walk over homeless people and things like that and don't make much of it and make much of the, their situation and things like that. And um, you maybe you got some cash or something on you to give them or maybe you want to buy them a meal, whatever. But a lot of people tend to walk over those types of, of folks who are in those misfortunate situations. Yeah, but she's, been, she's just been saved. Right, she has been. Yeah, so she's, she's been saved. an opportunity. <laughs> trade trade trisha and him both excuse the situation um bringing petty uh, bringing up petty thefts cowley pieces out of the awkward situation deciding to go take a shower trisha ushers him out of the house mallory wanting her to call him after she speaks to the to the lawyer she claims that she will he walks out turning around asking if she needs anything she admits that they're fine he jokes uh just uh, just that he can uh rough up Excuse me. He jokes that he can rough up anyone um, that bothers her, willing to bring out his taser. Oh, big boy. She smiles, <laughs> mocking him when she uh, closes the door. Daniel is standing on the other end with a demonic voice. He claims to know what she did. What the oh, fucking fuck? This one is great. What this the one is fucking really great. fuck? I thought that was well-timed. And God you can damn. obviously see what triggers Daniel to come out is is Trish her guilt right yeah it's all her guilt right like I mean her feeling that that guilt toward her feeling like she's betraying her husband and but like god damn what a scare what a scare like this is a top tier scare right here like one of the best jump scares I've ever seen right because He's he's instantly there and he's instantly not. He's got during this the day. Amazing deep voice. Oh my god! And at I this point, 
at this point, I already had concerns for her being pregnant. She just doesn't need to be scared so much. Seriously. Like, I, I could only imagine how she was, at, like, feeling in this moment. Even acting. Like... <laughs> because she's actually pregnant. Yeah. So, again, having to be scared and, uh, you know, be flinching and doing all this, have high anxiety, high, high heart rate. It has to be a lot. It has to be, it has to be a it lot. It has to be and a lot. For for those who don't have kids that are our listeners, one of the things that our doctors have told, uh, well, my wife at least, is that, like, you need to relax as much as possible. You need to try your best and have zero stress. Okay. A lot of that. When you're having... Their, their bodies are changing and it's contorting and babies are moving. And Ellie was a hiccupper. She hiccuped in Kathleen's belly all oh the time. She hiccuped. And it would be like three in the morning and Kathleen would be so uncomfortable. And she'll hiccup for like an hour. Yeah, my organs are just being shifted around. Really <laughs> <quick>. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Poor, it's just, Fuck. Poor women sometimes. Like, uh, like I can, I can only imagine, and I just try my best to just uh, assist my wife. Uh, any men out there who are listening, and if you have a pregnant wife right now, I'm gonna give you a secret that is going to help them out tremendously. Tell them, tell them the secret. I'm telling them the secret right now. Go behind your wife, hug your wife, and lift up her belly. If you lift up her belly, and just for even. One minute, two minutes. Obviously, do this what gently. What relief! Oh my god! Like that is just—they'll melt. They'll love you forever, and then they'll know that you actually love them. She screams as she jerks back, sighing and trying to catch her breath. Daniel no longer there. Cut to Callie lying on the couch reading while Trisha is washing dishes. She realizes that she forgot about Walter, closing her book and asking her sister if there's enough food for another plate. Trisha asks if she's still hungry. She tells her no. Um. Know about to mention uh, Walter, but writes it off as a Christian thing. Once again, I don't understand why she didn't tell her about Walter. Like, I feel like this is a perfect opportunity I, to tell her. I can imagine that the relationships that she has built just don't have the right connotation. They could be as associated with any type of drug use or sure. supplier or something right. of that nature where to protect her, you just move back in this area. How do you know someone already? What do you know them for? That's fair. That's fair. I would have just been like, I saw a homeless man, you know. I, I mean, she could have been very family. honest with the entire thing. And yeah, I, I believe, uh, I believe it would have been fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, these all seem like rational things that can happen to anyone. <laughs> like, I believe all of it would have been fine instead of just kind of chopping it up to a Christian thing. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, into attain. A certain level of Christianity, you've got to do these deeds. Is that something that she's come to con- the conclusion of? I don't know. When when I practice Christianity and, and Catholicism, like, yeah, it would say do nice stuff, but it never like said what type of nice stuff. <laughs> Trisha, like, you don't get like a Christian badge. <laughs> Did you- <laughs> no, this I is... helped an old lady cross the road yesterday. No. My Christian badge told me so. Uh, Trisha chuckling that she's, um, she meant to ask her about that. Callie ignores her snarky sar- sarcasm as she asks for the uh, Tupperware. 
She walks. She walks over to the.、Uh, she walks over to the tunnel. Walter no longer inside. She places the food on the ground and walks back home. It being her unintentional trade. Later that night, Callie packs up a box of books. She goes to check on Trisha, seeing her sitting on the bed, staring at an open box. She asks if she needs help breaking、uh, breaking her out of her stupor. Trisha doesn't doesn't think she's ready to, to do this tonight. Callie argues that she won't be ready until she sign, signs a, new, a lease to a new apartment. Trisha cuts her off, irritatedly responding、um, that she's on it.、Uh, Callie frustratedly acknowledges, heading back to her room. Man, so tensions are high. Tensions are high. She knows she needs to change fast. She needs to get out of this spot, and they don't even know what's about to happen to flip them upside down. I mean, fuck. Best part. Callie prays for her to、uh, get her shit together, turning off the lights、um, before getting into bed. Meanwhile, Trisha is、uh, asleep in bed, her door opening on its own. She wakes up, thinking that it's Callie. She ignores it, turning over in bed. Demon Daniel on top of her, forcing his hand into her stomach. She winces in pain until he disappears. Trisha goes、uh, goes to speak to a therapist the next day, who mentions that this is normal. She scoffs, saying, "Well, fuck normal." <laughs> yeah, for real. I, I mean, were you having some major cramps? I don't think so. My dead <laughs> husband would just put、is、his fist plaguing my mind, and it feels real. <laughs> right, that is not a lucid dream, sir. Yeah, like this was interesting because、um, I feel like a lot of doctors write shit off like this. Like, oh, that's normal. Well, it's not to fucking me, dude. Like. Explain this normality. Yeah, I thought something worse was going to happen. She was going to end up with some kind of you know miscarriage, something like that. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, fuck. The pressure, whatever just happened.、Right. I mean, that's what it felt like. Like it felt like something bad was going to happen. But I'm curious if this was like because we get that scene later when Callie's in the tunnel. And we 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 get that. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss. That. Yeah, we'll definitely discuss this. I wonder if this has connotations to that scene. If that is like bringing back that scene of how that happened. Because fuck, that scene's dark as fuck, dude. That's, like that's a dark ass scene, and I think a lot of people miss how dark that scene is. Well, this movie cranks up, and it's got when it does, it decides. This movie doesn't fuck around, dude. It's it, but but a lot of it's real. A lot of it、yeah. is, is real horror. Right, this is not right, right. any type of of animalistic. You know, obviously they they play on the portion of you know this insect being the underneath, but a lot of this is psychological. This, all these beings and you know each one of these individuals in this movie has something they're fearing. Right, and and Trish is only going through one one of these stories. Right, yeah, you got Callie doing the same thing, Detective Mallory. As you mentioned before, yeah, yeah. he gets his. <laughs> the therapist asks about the lucid dreams starting、um, starting around the time she declared Daniel dead in absentia. She remembers them agreeing that it would be something to, something to her. He interrupts her, commenting that it,、uh, that it is it is big, and they knew they knew what to expect. Or excuse me, they knew to expect something, but she didn't expect this. He agrees. Meanwhile, Callie goes for another run, passing through the tunnel. The therapist explains that Trisha describing lucid dreams, calling them tactile hallucinations. I also want to point out the、uh, the Oculus mirror just、oh, chilling on the, the wall. The Oculus mirror showing、just、up chilling. in every one of Mike Flanagan's films. It's so fucking cool. I put this on Twitter, and I had some people who were just like, "It's not the same," and I was like, "Well." He, 
Yeah, but it's the it's the same in in most aspects. But you're right. Now I, I gave them that. Like, no, you're right. It's not completely one hundred percent the same. But I'm pretty sure that's a budgetary thing. Yeah, variations of the mirror should exist. Yeah, I think it's per, like I'm, per I'm world. Pretty sure this one mirror probably didn't survive all the times. It might have broken, or some, a piece might have fallen off. Especially if it's been in countless Mike Flanagan films. Right, well, you have the same regal with the the curves and the flower-esque type of borders. Right. And this carries on through a lot of the films. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy having that. I love that shit. Egg. I love that shit. I think that's so cool. I think it's a great nod to fans as well of Mike Flanagan. Um, and for me, I love to think that this is a Mike Flanagan universe that, that we have here. Right. Uh, have After going on. being exposed to the mirror and its presence. Right. It definitely seems more of a universal type of... Yeah, feels like the evil's following everywhere it goes. Item. Right, absolutely. And, and if you even take something like Hush and Gerald's Game, where it has uh, nods to Midnight Mass, and even the basis of Hush, where the, the writer of Midnight Mass, Maddie Young, is supposed to be the writer of Hush, or excuse me, of uh, Midnight Mass. So... Like connotations of that, like fuck, dude. Like, and even you have characters uh, in Hush get name dropped from Midnight Mass. Like, I think I'm that's so fucking it. cool. Like Aaron and I'm Riley. So, like, shit like that is so cool to me. So, I like to think that Mike Flanagan does have his own universe. Whether some people claim that he doesn't, but whatever, we'll find out later when we get him on this show. I'm fucking telling you, it's gonna happen, dude. That not being uh, unusual for her, uh, for her the for that kind of stress that she's going through, she likes to an- she likes that answer. Asking him to continue, he asks, "How does she? How does seeing and hearing him make her feel?" She sighs that the first time was like it uh, like he was devastated and furious because she's declaring him dead. Then it is like he was enraged at her. She can't complete. She can't complete. She can't complete it right away. He completes it for her at the baby. Oof. He shares when the mind can't deal with something with trauma, grief, and guilt. It, it's easier to create something to help them process. He exclaims that it, um, it is her, not him. And she's telling herself how to feel. Trisha questions when will it stop. The therapist responds that sh- uh, she's the only one to answer that. Asking her if she's, if she's still doing meditation. And if that is still helping back with Callie, uh, making it back to the apartment, a pile of watches and keys sitting on the porch. She uh, looks back at the tunnel, going back over the, the trinkets, putting them on the ground. Walter's son, Jamie, behind her, telling her not to do that. She doesn't understand. He reiterates for her not to leave those there. She explains that they, are, they aren't hers and she's returning them. He replaces he places his items on the ground, telling her not um, not again before walking away. Mm-hmm. Cut to Callie and Trisha in the uh, lawyer's office. She tells them that everything looks good. Trisha wondering if there's anything else that she may need, but that's all. That's all she needs. Explaining the situation of the law, thinking that Trisha did great. She asks, "What's next?" The lawyer explaining that they file and she gets the death certificate. While she's uh, signing the papers, she looks up and Daniel is behind the lawyer with his mouth wide open. Fucking hell, dude. And it's great because the walls are white. And he's wearing white. Daniel with the classic mouth open at the time of the signing of the death certificate. Jesus. Couldn't have planned that even any better, honestly. I mean, she she looks up barely. And I feel like her sister, Callie, looks over like, Like, you good? 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like you're right. Like sign the shit. Like you can see her. It's great. And I love that he's still blurred out, even though we get like a close up of him. Yes. I think that's so well done. Yeah. Daniel has a really interesting influence on, on this first portion of the film. Yeah, I for mean, sure. Until you start to really see his features, uh, you are only you only give him his his screaming mouth. <laughs> the, the, the worst times. <gasps> she nervously looks back down uh, to finish the signing. Now night back at her place, Callie comes into Trisha's room as she finishes packing things up. She tells Trisha that she's getting tired. She tells Cal- um, Callie to get some sleep because she's about to do the same. Callie um, goes to brush her teeth, grossed out by a bug inside the sink. And I think it's a silverfish. I was going to say, you know, it's what kind of, that was a silverfish yeah. for sure. Yeah, like it's I, those fuckers are gross, dude. I've seen those before in real life, and they they're are gross. Very hard to kill, capture. Oh. They're quick, but once you do, they snap. When you, when what you, do you mean they snap? You get a little, you know, it has this little like, it like explosion out. Like, no, no. no. Have you, you ever seen like an earwig before? No, you squish an earwig. I've and never make a little snapping sound. Maybe oh because their skin's all hard or what? But, Jesus, like a crunching sound. Yeah, like. I, a, yeah, it's a yeah, it's oh a crunchy my. snap sound. Ugh. Snap crackle pop. Oh my god. Silverfish. Silver, <laughs> their slogan snap crackle pop. <laughs> Silverfish. <laughs> They're usually in small crevices. If you got like a house with with some baseboards that have a little separation on the bottom, just be careful. Yeah. You got some silverfish in there. Do they uh, do they do anything like besides I mean crawl around? Gross. They're fucking gross as shit. I know Kathleen has like an ample fear of them. But to my knowledge, unless there's a mass quantity, they're not going to harm you. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think they'll. A mass quantity. Yeah, it's <laughs> gross. <laughs> we just snack crap. <laughs> she spits her toothpaste on it, turning on the water, allowing it to flush it down the drain. She continues brushing her teeth. Her attention turned um, when she hears a chirping noise coming from behind the curtain. Do they chirp? I don't know. Like, do they chirp? Like, <laughs> Like, I think that was like kind of close. To what it was. Like, no, the silverfish do not chirp. Yeah, they, was, don't, they don't chirp. So was the the insects behind the walls. Yeah, she is about to pull back the curtain. The chirping, the chirps sounding off as she, as uh, the curtain moves, working up the courage to pull it back, but nothing behind it. She finishes brushing her teeth. Meanwhile, Trisha gets ready to meditate, closing her eyes. I think sounds for creatures in horror is hard i think it's really hard to to make it scary sound design in general is quite an intimate skill you've got to really understand the audience perception of of sounds and i'm all i'm very much into sound design i would love to be kind of creature development that would be fun i mean that would be fun um because I, I feel like it, it's such a hard feat to pull off because some could sound super cliche and some can sound maybe off-putting. Um, and I think the chirping noise works for what this story is trying to tell us. Um, definitely better than the meow noise in The Grudge. My least favorite monster noise. <laughs> she hears uh, creaking <laughs> behind her. Daniel standing in the in the back, but she decides not to look back. He leans beside her ear, rapidly whispering things to her. 
Shouts out to Rapidly Whispering in Horror. That shit is so fucking creepy. Right, especially if that stuff is going backwards. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she continues breathing, drowning him out until he disappears. She opens her eyes satisfied. Callie finishes, finishes praying, God blessing Trisha's baby. Moving the covers um, back to discover even more of those trinkets. Um, on her pillow and inside she's got a treasure trove man dude this thing is just like trade me what back what did she trade she's like that was some was good ass meat? food <laughs> <laughs> cops grab all the trinkets Mallory asking detective uh, Lonergan I think that's how you say his name if that's if that's all of them uh, Lonergan man I feel I like that's right the detectives their acting did get more polished as the movie went on but it did seem that is very fair because yeah, uh, loner Gan with the fucking chewing gum quirk. I don't know. It was just, that was interesting. It, was just, uh, it didn't. It didn't feel like as polished. It felt as, a little like it comedic. Felt off. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. No, it felt. It felt a little buddy copy. Yeah, yeah. That was that was okay. Again, if that was the character, but it seemed like they got more in depth and really had a. Once I feel, once, yeah, once they holes. like, because you could tell like they definitely had some like pre-show jitters of like, whoa, I am in front of a camera and I can't look at it. I need to act and be an actor. Um, like, you, like once they got over that shit. Hey, deputy buddy. <laughs> it's just, what? <laughs> it, it was the ma'ams for me. Ma'am, ma'am, I'm going to need you to stay back. Ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> It was those. It was like <laughs> he believes. Uh, he believes so. Sub matching the description of of the B and E items that were stolen, Mallory asks to borrow a notepad from one of the officers. He goes inside the living room, questioning Callie if the door was locked. She thinks so. She he uh, reiterates that you you always lock the door because uh, of this particular neighborhood. He didn't just say it. Dude, I mean, he was, was like angry. he was angry. Like, was, as if I told you already, he that was, door remains locked. <laughs> he was very upset. Uh, it kind of caught me off guard as as why he was upset. Trisha chimes in, commenting that she told her and uh, was sure that it was locked. Mallory mentions... Um, uh, mentions there wasn't a sign of forced entry. Callie brings up the fact that uh, there was another incident. Trisha not understanding. Mallory bringing up Walter not being not. Oh, now you bring up Walter not being able able to remember what she uh, said. Uh, what she said his name was. Um, Trisha pissed off that he that she possibly that he was possibly in her apartment, which she didn't say that, but she didn't deny it either. Like she was, she wasn't like I didn't bring him in here. Calm your ass down. Like, no, it's like <laughs> the door was locked. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I think so. There may have been someone in here. The back door <laughs> does have a lock on it. I mean, the food was delicious. <laughs> Mallory finding the moment to be uh, this moment to be a great time to be a told you so moment, commenting that he told her any anywhere but there. She tells him to calm down, but he tells her that now they need to take talk seriously. She and she's like, this wasn't serious before. Okay, uh, she tells her. Uh, wait, I'll skip the pot. Um, she tells him that she's 
she's been packing. He argues, he argues, questioning where she is going, bringing up the fact that she's been packing for six months. Damn. All right, go ahead and it's like this is this is probably not the time for this argument. Probably not the time for this. No, because I love Callie's look. She's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like something. Like yeah, she's like. What's happening here? Maybe it's coming full circle when she came in from that run. She's like she started, so she started to me. realize, like, okay, I think, I think these two, fucking, like, <laughs> like, like, I think these two definitely are doing the th- doing the stuff. <laughs> Adding that she um, can just that that she could just live with him. She cuts him off, eyeing Callie to remind him that she's still there. <laughs> Callie goes out for another run, and this is next day. Um, not just that night. She's like, fuck this. <laughs> I need to burn off some night. steam. Callie goes out for another run, looking looking over at the tunnel, but decides to run in the other d- direction so she could take a message from our sponsors. And we're back. We're back with Trisha because Trisha tries calling her, asking how she's doing over there. Um, she uh, she tells Trisha that she's fine and the doors are locked. She's just packing, asking what time she comes home. Trisha shares that she'll be home around seven, asking if she'll be okay until then. Callie claims that she's she's good. They hang up the phone. She grabs her, her drug box underneath the bed, opening it. And it's this is fucking crazy. Yeah, I'll be good until then. Enough for me to get high. Yeah. Like, it's just like, damn, because this whole thing of her getting the drugs and like it, it kind of broke my heart where I'm just like, fuck, like you sound like you're doing so good. And like you, you, you could tell in this moment, she's fucking contemplating like, fuck, like I got this urge. Should I do it? Oh yeah. She's looking at the box, hesitating a little bit before she even sprawls it open. But yeah. she understands the time that she has is it's all the time she needs to get her fix. Right. Which is kind of what, what drug addicts do. They look for the opportunity. Yep. And her opportunity was being alone. Right. And I, I love how this just continues. Yeah. Got to Trisha grabbing her mail. Callie inside the bathroom chugging some water after taking some drugs. <laughs> you want some drugs? <laughs> she overhears she overhears the door open, calling out but no answer. Quickly she puts eye drops in her eyes before heading downstairs. I like the fact that Mike Flanagan's budget didn't call for him showing the drugs. We're just like fuck, we don't got enough money to make fake drugs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what would you need to do to make some fake drugs? Honestly, just depending know. on what she's doing. Yes, she, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like she's smoking something, maybe, or maybe taking acid. Okay, I don't know. I mean, because we hear later that she thinks it's acid or some shit. Trisha is sitting on the couch with the death certificate in her hand. Callie asks, "What? Uh, what? It, what?" What is it in her hand? Trisha hands it to her. She reads it. Trisha somberly wanting to go to bed. She walks past Callie to head to her room. Callie stands in the doorway telling her goodnight, but she doesn't respond. Shots of the tunnel, something chirping and moving inside. This is so fucking sad. Because, like, she's just like, this is officially real. Like, this is real. He's dead. Or is he? Callie is out for a run, spotting a vacant apartment sign back inside her sister's apartment. She yells for her to get up. They go to visit the new apartment, their dialogue inaudible as they continue continue apartment shopping. Trisha calls Mallory, telling him that she found a place and that Callie made her, while asking him if uh, if he would like to go steady with her. She puts Daniel's death certificate inside the drawer on top of on top of their wedding photo, including with her wedding ring. 
They are they are both chipper as they um, hang up the phone from each other. Callie thinking that it uh, that to be great. Trisha asking if it is time. She agrees. Callie helps her look for something to wear for her date night. She pulls one dress out, one uh, that she's not able to fit in, which it looks like that was the dress. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get there. That's so fucking great. Um, which looks like the the dress for her wedding, I think, or something like the black dress, or not her wedding, but like. It looks, I don't know, I feel like there's a, a picture of her wearing that dress already with Daniel. It probably has some sentiment to it. Right. But. Maternity clothes only. So yep. Yeah, she's obviously worn that before. Right. Right. And we, this fucking part right here though. She puts, she pulls out that dress and that won't fit. And she's like, oh, that's right. Maternity clothes only. While putting it back, Daniel's blurred body stares out with his mouth wide open and his eyes rolled to the back of his head. Oh my fucking God. Like, and, and his body's blurry. And every time I see it, it sends chills down my fucking spine. Because God damn, it looks good. Wow. That is so basic and so simple. Yet one of the scariest fucking things I've ever seen. Yeah, Trish gasps like as oh soon as God. she witnesses. Jesus because Christ. Because Callie doesn't see anything. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Look at Trish. And it's it's like a very silent gasp because she's like, not again. <laughs> Callie, because she was doing the meditation. She already Right. Yeah. She she knows now how to like suppress that, right? Right. So while putting it Obviously. back, Daniel or excuse me, uh Callie Callie does Trisha's makeup, turning her around uh, to look into the mirror. Daniel's standing in the back, but she ignores him, and um, and he disappears. Asking Callie what she w- what she should do with her hair, Trisha opens the door up for Mallory. They greet each other. He compliments her, and she leaves to grab her stuff. Callie questions how long he, um, he's been trying to to get her get her to go out with him. He calls it a while. She she comes back and they are they are off to their date, making sure that Callie has everything, but she tells them to go. Out of her peripheral vision, she sees Daniel, causing her to stop and close her eyes. He asks if she's okay. She takes his hand and, tr- and tries to walk away, but he sees Daniel standing in the street as well. He calls out to Daniel, going over to him. Daniel trips on the ground, Mallory yelling for Trisha to call the ambulance. She's in shock. Callie running over to her, telling her to uh, to look at her as she asks if she's okay. She falls to the ground, staring at him in, in absolute disbelief. Cut to Daniel in the hospital being checked out by a doctor. Trisha calls her mother um, to tell her the news about Daniel coming home. Or calls his mother, excuse me. Um... The doctor telling Daniel to squeeze his hand, he does. The doctor asking him to let go of his hand. <laughs> okay, Daniel, let me go now. He does it right away, asking the doctor if, if he can see him. The doctor admits that he can. A single tear escaping Daniel as he loosens his grip. Fucking incredible. Yeah, that that reveal, as soon as you started to realize, you know, Detective Mallory could actually see Daniel. Okay. Like... And because the, the way he was standing in the street, I mean, how did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But like, I feel like, I feel like it definitely happens as a fuck up. Like they escape somehow for that moment. And they're probably so exhausted from escaping. 
from the underground. Yeah. Like I I feel like that's that that's the only thing that makes sense to me was the guilt of another say Trish Trisha causing him to get out of the underground like how does what was influencing that cuz they were just about to go on a date the death certificate had just been received she seemed like she was happy go lucky the dude had some fucking neo glasses on <laughs> And they're about to get on with the night. Those fucking silly ass shades. Those shades. <laughs> Early 2000s written all over them. Oh my fucking God. Those shades were never cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> they were never cool. But, uh,. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what specifically was the catalyst for him appearing because um, Callie getting the appearance of Walter also was out of nowhere. So, like, it's hard to tell. It's hard. To, it's hard to like experience what that even was. You know, because everyone sees him at this point. The doctors see him. Yeah, the doctors don't have any of these. We, these we don't past we traumas, any, right? Right. We don't have any exposure to why they would be seeing him, but he's he's got an IV in his hand, and I do see this scene where he's like, Daniel, you let go of my hand now. That's good. Let go of my hand. <laughs> like, he was like, Daniel, I will punch you in the face. Let go of my hand. The doctor explained to Trisha um, that David is uh, sev- uh, severely dehydrated and malnourished. She relays the, um, that that. Back to Daniel's mother, adding that Daniel hasn't said anything. The doctor continues explaining his condition. She hangs up the phone. She hangs up the phone, confusingly telling Callie that she kept laughing. But I don't think you revealed some of the best part. He had animal bones in his stomach. Well, they didn't know that yet, right? They from this from this synopsis, they had not. I thought he was no, not yet. Uh, I think it's a little bit later. Um, but which is interesting because. We hear later that Mallory was just like, someone was feeding you. It's like, was it not malnourished? Like, <laughs> it doesn't sound like I was being fed. <laughs> if I was, it wasn't much shit. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> the doctor said that. Like, <laughs> I felt that. You saw me. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Callie asking if she told her about what the doctor said um, about the trauma. Trisha shakes her head, not wanting to put her through the trauma, uh, through the trauma Daniel's gone through. Which I guess we we find out at this point in time that he was potentially sexually abused at this point. Right. And that only I feel like that's feel like Trisha. that's what they were going at, that he was sexually abused when they were discussing this. Mallory and, and Lonergan are in Daniel's room um, asking asking him where he's been. Daniel looks over over at Trisha. Lonergan revealing that the doctor explained that he had physical abuse and they're trying to figure out who did that to him. Daniel uh, says that he was underneath um, before falling asleep. Mallory trying to bring him back, um, but he's out cold. Cut to Daniel stepping outside of the car with the cleanest fucking K-Swiss you've ever seen in your entire damn life. Trisha Kelly. <laughs> 
And Marquis Swiss. Trisha and Callie help him out of the car, guiding him uh, to the door of the apartment. He looks back at the tunnel, urinating on himself. Callie calling uh, Trisha's attention to it. They help him inside the house. Trisha offers to uh, get him some fresh clothes. Callie asks if he would like uh, like to lay down or would he or would he want a glass of water. He bluntly says, sleep. While he's lying down in bed, he starts to sob. Trisha gently caresses his face. He moves his head his head deeper into her hand. The sisters are lying down on the couch. Trisha mentioning that Daniel's mom is coming over and 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 uh, complaining on this not being real. Someone knocks on the door. Callie goes to answer it. It is Mallory and his partner. He greets Trisha. She's confu- uh, she confusingly greets him back. He apologizes, sharing that he tr- uh, tried to call. And it's it's interesting because it's like she's not really. She's confused, but she's also like, it seems like she's like irritated, like, what the fuck are you doing here? Type of like, like, yeah, like. Are you talking about Callie at this point? No, Trisha, because Trisha, when he says hi, she's like, hi, like, what are you doing here? I found the matters right now. Right. What's going on? Right. Like, get out of my house right now, Mallory. I don't need my boyfriend and my husband to meet again. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this guy has got a bit, bit comfortable, and I think he's trying to do what I mean, he feels is best. Boo. And, and again, Callie doesn't seem like she's all for it as well. Like, dude, what are you doing here? I mean, yeah. I don't know. She uh, she unplugs the she unplugged the phones. Uh, Callie cl- ch- chiming in that it was crazy. Loner again wants to speak with Daniel again. Trisha responds that he's asleep. Callie reminding him that they spoke to him at the hospital and he didn't say anything. Um, they want to speak with him again, someplace where he's more where he's more comfortable. They are all interpreted by pounding and, and banging upstairs. I would have told him like I don't know how comfortable he is here because he pissed himself as soon as he saw the front door. <laughs> So I don't know how comfortable he is. Dude looked at the tunnel and those khaki pants turned a lot darker. <laughs> those khaki pants turned black. Uh, they they run upstairs. Daniel no longer in the bedroom. Lonergan finds him hiding out in the corner in Callie's room. They bring him back to the, into the bedroom. Trisha throwing the blanket on him. Mallory explains that the doctor figured out uh, what the light bits were in his x-rays, sharing that he had animal bones in his stomach. Whoa. Wanting him to explain that to him, he's like, "Do I don't fucking know, right? How would they be able to explain it? It took a lot, um, you know. Again, I watched this a few times in succession to realize where those animal bones were coming from. We find right, out, right? We find out way later. But well, even then, it's still not like it's that's not very said. clear. It's not clear, but you put two and two. You can put two and two together definitely later for sure. I, I at least I hope you do, I which." can be intense for some people and they probably hear this and they're just like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Right, and those, those are the kind of realizations that this movie, again, doesn't necessarily dredge on and you could easily miss it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. This is easily missed right here. Um, like I said, this movie gets super dark, but it's this subtle darkness that you have to piece together with your mind. Lonergan also mentions that the same clothes that he... That he was found in are the ones that he wore when he disappeared, wondering if he has ever gone to a shelter or a hospital. Daniel responds that he doesn't know. Mallory sits on the bed, believing that he doesn't know because someone fed him as recently as yesterday morning. Trisha pleads for him, Mallory revealing that he had his wallet, yelling as he questions nobody um, nobody taking his wallet while being on the streets for seven years. He continues getting uh, getting heated up, calling him a liar for not remembering. 
His part, his partner pats him um, on the back, telling him uh, that's enough for now. And poor Daniel's like sobbing as Mallory gets up, glaring at Trisha. He's like, "We'll fucking bring him back here. You should have been me and you, you, It's like, bro, your fucking like toxic masculinity is definitely showing right now. I'm glad he didn't bring out his taser, like you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> this guy roughing you up. <laughs> Daniel, what you doing back here, bitch boy? <laughs> Should have stayed gone. We would like, dude. Seriously, he's he's an interesting one. Um, like the way he looks back at Mallory, just so uncomfortable to me. Uh, shit. Did I lose my spot? Fuck. Uh, no. Wait. Uh, yes. Well, while they're leaning, Lonergan apologizes. Um, sharing that they are. Uh, they are relieved that her husband is alive and will figure it out um in time continuing his cop persona he he's about to hand her his card and she's like i I, I fucking got it like what the fuck you're fine like you guys know where i live and you come here way too often mallory walks out of the door stopping stopping her from shutting it asking if she can talk after 10 p.m she sighs that she doesn't know but he clarifies that um he just wants to talk um she agrees later that evening callie comes uh comes into the bedroom greeting daniel who was staring at at something she asks if if he remembers her, sharing that the last time they saw each other, she was barely driving. He, can, he comments that she, uh, she disappeared too. She admits that she did, asking, asking, or excuse me, she admits that she did because she was chasing a guy and a few, and a few quote unquote dragons. Trisha, uh, Trisha comes into the room over, overhearing the conversation as Callie continues. Uh, that she's been plenty of, ev- she's seen plenty of everyone. He asks her how she got out. She confused, she confused, she's confused, answering that she doesn't know. Trisha asks if they, if they could have a, uh, have a minute. Callie allows them to. She touches Daniel's knee about, about to let him know if he, if he ever wants to talk, but he flinches. She removes her hand, leaving out of the room. Trisha stands, stands in front of him, sighing as she tries to hold back tears. He's confused. She, uh, pulls out his death certificate from the drawer. He looks at it, pointing out down at her belly as she cries no, going over to him, slapping and hitting him, asking him, uh, where he was. He embraces her as she cries into his shoulder, Callie listening while opening up her box of drugs. I say drugs because I don't know what she's taking. I just assume it's just a box of drugs. It could be something else. Yeah. She is definitely under the influence of something where she's got the guilt herself. Oh, for sure. Opening this, this box. Yeah, absolutely. Cuts to Mallory pulling up to the apartment, calling Trisha and letting her know that he's there. She sneaks out of the bed and, and past her high ass sister going outside to meet, meet up with Mallory. They walk back to, uh, to his car. He explains that he doesn't want her, want her to make any decisions today or to put any, any more stress on her. She cries that this situation isn't possible. He adds that he's devoted to her, not wanting to quit or ever leave, willing to provide and protect her and the baby, also doing everything he can to get Daniel some help. Him being the same person, but convince, convince, or, but convincing her that Daniel is not the same person as as when he left, reminding her that she said things um, weren't that great back then either. She tells him not to continue with, uh, with that. He apologizes, but claims that the death certificate is accurate, uh, even though Daniel is upstairs. Fuck. This guy's speaking some of the truth, but kind of doing... Definitely it's has some insecurities, though. Yeah, for sure. I I think he's doing the right thing by by being the support figure, 
but Daniel is ruffling his feathers and now he's a third party. Does he really want to, does he really want to dedicate his life to rehabbing this potential husband? Right. Yeah. It's a weird scenario. It is. It, it is it's, it's definitely an uncomfortable one too. Right. Like it, it's one of those scenarios where it's just like, dang, like I love this woman. But her husband's back. And I don't think Singh, you remember how bad it used to be, you know? Yeah, that doesn't help. That, that doesn't help. I, I think he could have just done without that and still gone with the card of, I'm here to help. Right. I'm here if you need me. Right. Exactly. Meanwhile, Callie is in bed listening to music, feeling the presence of someone next to her. She's startled, lunging up, realizing that uh, it is Daniel reading the book that she got Trisha's unborn child. She asked if he's okay. He shakes his head, saying that it's not what it looks like, calling it more like an insect, skin like silver fish. <laughs> Fuck. So amazing. It's more like an insect. That is so good. Skin like silverfish. So good. She calls for Trisha. She's like, Trisha? <laughs> he knows that she traded with it. Him wishing that she didn't, claiming that it fi- it fixates. She tells him to uh, go back into his room and wait for Trisha. He tells her th- um, that he can't go back in there, commenting that it's in the walls. Damn. What you talk about, Daniel? What did you bring in here? They look back toward the room, both of them startled back from the chirping noise. They slowly try to look out of the door. A blur of a blur of a creature scurries past the door, chirping. Daniel repeats, no more, as Callie gets up to look out of the doorway, telling him to, to be quiet. She's like, be quiet, Daniel. I mean, this is the first time you get a glimpse of the splice-looking character. It's for such a short instant, though. You've got to play it back if you really want to get a a good glimpse yeah and it's big like the way it crawls and moving things and things like that like this looks great like I think the blur effect really plays very much into the advantage of what's going on here I mean you got the budget aspect of the 70k right so the they stretch that shit as much as they possibly could right you you got you got to give somewhere and I yes it really plays well into it the the chirping and the squelching I'm always for it I need to make a damn squelch meter yeah we need squelch counts for sure she conti- she cautiously looks down the hallway going inside the bathroom she turns the light on as the chirping intermittently co- intermittently continues she closes the door something violently grabbing her from the shower curtain back with trisha telling mallory that they need to stop allowing him that uh, allowing him to have as much involvement with the baby as he wants which we can assume that it's his baby right um for even mallory though, for sure right even though they don't they don't really like make it crazy clear like they don't say like they just say the baby not your baby and things like that well yeah you can see before he had left the house when he made that taser comment and and yeah he was like he can do anything for you both right and because like in some ways it could be like him and like her and callie right but it's definitely talking about the baby right and i don't think they do because she corrects herself because she's just like she's like i'm we're good. They don't cover up. Yeah. It is definitely exposed that she is expecting. Right. And, you know, for she's, sure. I mean, because she's pregnant, pregnant. And at this point, you can put two and two together, seven years. 
It's true. Babies don't bake that long. Yeah, no, they don't. That's right. She reminds him that he that he always he always said that he was he would bring Daniel back to her, and she loves him for that. He claims to understand. She brings up the fact that she uh, she used to camp, disappearing for a weekend or a week at a time. Nobody caring where she was or when she was coming back. She sighs that he, she understands just. Uh, um, just walking away before they share one last kiss. They're saying their goodbyes until she notices that her front door is open. She calls him back. He runs over to the door. Callie comes running from the dark, screaming and crying that Daniel's gone. She starts sobbing hysterically as she hugs Trisha. Mallory checking on the overturned house while they while they while they wait outside. He tells them that nobody is going back in there and that the cops will be there in five minutes. Asking Callie what happened. We jump to the that transpired in the house Callie wakes up on the bathroom floor calling out to Daniel he crawls away repeating um, that he's that it's it's here Daniel being silently dragged down the stairs like no none of that shit he's just like (laughs) <laughs> like, I mean, like Daniel's getting dragged around in this movie a couple times. Yeah, and he doesn't scream. It's like, bro, where's your screaming at? I would rather him do that faint roar. <laughs> <laughs> the one where his his mouth is just circles. He's just completely <laughs> ghoulish. Yeah. That, that would be amazing. Daniel is dragged down the stairs as the chirping insect lays its blurry hand on his shoulder. Callie runs down to a system. The, run tur- the room turned over. Handprints moving in uh, moving on the ceiling and the walls. Daniel is bloody and beaten on, uh, on the ceiling above. He weakly calls to her, falling to the ground, and then silently dragged out of the door. He's bloody and beaten because he's been dragged on that popcorn ceiling, man. I mean, yeah. That, that like, stuff is sharp. Yeah, the popcorn ceilings are no joke. No, they seriously aren't. They seriously are not. That's for it's sure. A dying art. It's popcorn ceilings. Good fucking riddance. You know what I'm saying? That shit's ugly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've been in an apartment living for a while. They got popcorn ceilings there. My my great granddad had a popcorn ceiling in his house, which makes sense because this house looks like it was built in like the fucking 1500s. You just rub your hand on the ceiling and have the flex just come. <laughs> <laughs> your hands all shredded afterwards. <laughs> Falling on the ground and then silently dragged out of the door, she runs out to go after him. He tries holding on to a pole as she, as the creature pulls him into the tunnel. She continues running after him as she's as he's being pulled into the wall. Um, back to the present, she understands that it sounds crazy, but she swears that she could hear him inside the walls. Uh, Lonergan calms her down, asking her to, t- to look and look at him and uh, look at him in the eyes, shining a light on her. Um, asking if she had anything to drink. She nervously is, admits that she had some wine earlier. She she takes some note. He takes some notes, letting her know that he'll need to talk to her again. He she acknowledges, allowing him to walk past her, calling him a fucking asshole when he walks past. He goes inside the living room, knocking on the door frame for Mallory, letting him know that that he got it. Um, they go inside the hallway. Mallory asking if he saw her eyes. Lonergan admits that he saw her pupils, but still doesn't mean that she's high. I mean, from what I gather, doing some of the the work, detective work before this film, Detective Lonergan chaps on his gum so heavily because he's from an addictive uh, previous, you know, type of behavior i think he it was addicted to something and the gum is some kind of crutch or right now he's addicted to chewing gum like a cow like it's just 
dude, like my dude makes it very apparent that he is chewing on some gum. Like it's not discreet at all. He is in your camel face with that. Yasha. It is it is ridiculous. Um adding that he doesn't uh oh excuse me. Uh da, 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 da. uh Mallory wants cops to search the park and highways. Lonergan cutting him off um that they will cast a big net, adding that he doesn't love he doesn't love that he was there for all of this tonight. Mallory understanding um Lonergan also needing a statement from him as or from uh, not him, from Trisha as well, sharing that it will change some things. Mallory continues to understand, but he will uh, take Trisha's report. Back in the room with Trisha, while uh, all the other cops watch ra- watch over them, Mallory apologizes. Trisha realizing that he's going, uh, what he's going to say. He tells her that he tells her that she needs to file another missing persons report. She begins to sob. That is heavy. She just waited. Seven years. Seven years. And the day after, dude comes back. Yeah. Gotta do it all over again. Gotta do it all over again. That's fucked up. Some fucked up shit. It is. She sees Mallory out and Callie apologizes to her. She tells Callie to shut her mouth as she rushes un- upstairs rummaging around for her b- through her belongings. Callie chases after her. Trisha reveals that she saw her eyes knowing she was high, asking her um, where, the dr- where her drugs are. Callie argues that she saw it. Um, but Trisha doesn't believe her. They continue arguing for a moment. Callie asking, uh, asking her what happened if if it wasn't um, if it wasn't what she says it is. I fucking love this question. Trisha thinks back. Daniel possibly seeing her kiss Mallory. That being the reason why he had a rampage inside the living room while Callie was upstairs, blazed out of her fucking mind. <laughs> this is amazing. I mean, it's a good. This, good is, a, turn this of is a great turn of events. I love this shit. I mean, Trish is not a dumb gal. Nah. And I think she's she's just ready to move on. She's getting so overwhelmed. The fact that her sister is potentially doing all this, influencing Daniel to even run away again. Right. What were you doing? (laughs) We were out in the car. And I come out of the car and you're screaming at me that Daniel ran away. You couldn't have watched the 35-year-old man. Yeah, but the fact that they don't believe her, I mean, she just witnessed freaking handprints coming out of the ceiling. So I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's realistic enough for, for her to not be believed. Oh, right? yeah. Like, I mean, that makes sense. Like for the fact that it happens again. Right. Hey, Daniel went missing again. I'm right, sorry, he got right, eaten right. by some walls. He was screaming through the walls. Yeah. Like, who's the crazy one now? Seriously. Trisha doesn't know, arguing that she heard um, this giant bug story before, the last time it being in her skin. She was like, okay, but this is different now. Now it's in the walls. Like, <laughs> she finds her box of drugs, opening it and yelling about nothing ever changing. Their dad leaving, mama mess, and Callie retreating into a needle. Callie throws an insult back about Trisha going into a marriage uh, with her high school boyfriend. She slaps Callie before leaving out of the room. I mean, I don't think that was the burn that Callie thought it was anyway. <laughs> um, Trisha is up late crying while Callie looks up 
looks up at the the listings for missing persons. Next day, Trisha's in the kitchen calling Daniel's mom, about to leave her a message, um, but hangs up instead. Callie is still in still on the computer, closing the lid before going into the living room. She greets Trisha, apologizing to her. Trisha um, accepting it, calling it um, senseless. Callie believes that she can make sense out of all of this. In the kitchen, she shows her a missing profile of Walter, explaining that he lived three doors down from them, going missing in 1995. Walking into walking to work through the tunnel leaving behind a son who leaves who still lives there saying that his dad was taken away by a monster they declare walter dead in 2002 but she ran into him last week in the tunnel she explains that he's not the only one showing her wikipedia showing her a wikipedia page that five others from the neighborhood in the last 100 years have also gone missing Trisha rebuttals that the tunnel wasn't there 100 years ago kelly agreeing clarifying that it was built in the early 50s but before the, before then it was a natural sinkhole fuck Right, I do enjoy the history. I think the, I love the, this the the turn that this takes right now to get the kind of internet trope and some of the the digging. It makes sense, and I, I like Callie's efforts to try to make sense of it all. Yeah, because Trisha wasn't following this set of steps at all. I mean, the fact that she was finding some kind of trend, trying to look for a commonality. It looks, it's believable. Yeah. No, it is. I agree. Uh, they built a footbridge over it, and people went missing when they would cross. Uh, she brings up another article from 1928 about Charles Ashmore, uh, who went to g- get water from his uh, from his family well, crossing the footbridge and him going missing. She continues with another article about three students who have gone missing in uh, the series of underground caves near the Verdugo Hills, but they emerged through a tunnel. Um... They couldn't find, however, they couldn't find the tunnel. Trisha is becoming more frustrated, but Callie calls her attention back, telling her to listen because this is important, explaining that it it was under the city, uh, explaining that it wasn't under the city, not, or excuse me, explaining that it was under the city, quote, not underground, but an underworld, end quote. Trisha isn't buying any of the conspiracies, but Callie continues showing the articles of proof, bringing up about uh, bringing one up about a man named David Stone, who who went to a party three blocks from their from their place and starts acting strangely, wandering over his neighbor's yard, and all he can say is that it's after him. I fucking love this. It's I love this after him. This is great shit. Trisha tries ra- uh, rationalizing all of the articles, but Callie cuts her off, sharing the statistics about 109,000 active missing person cases, asking her um, to guess how many disappeared in tunnels. You're like, what, five? <laughs> Based yeah. off of your articles you found? No, I mean, underground appeals to a lot of, of folks. You got a lot of interest to the unknown, the darkness. Silence. Yeah, I would never do that. It's all it's that all shit scares of, the shit out of me. It calls a lot of people, though. It does. It definitely does. Like urban explorers, right. they fascinate the hell out of me. Like I, I, I watched this one urban explorer on YouTube. I think his name is Urbex, and um, he he explores the most interesting places. And like he explored this abandoned church once, and. Um, it also had a tunnel system within the, within this church as well. So 
no, you're right. Like this does this is a bit of a calling for some folks as well. It just breeds underworld type of you know. It is the the mesh between reality, right? What we what we live on and so, the underworld. It's the closest place you'll get to hell, right? And, yeah. And I've, I've read some books on there, and I, I do find some belief. So I find it's it's pretty interesting. I think there again. The the way the movie shifts into thinking about this as a potential cause, it all the abuse that was potentially, you know, like Trisha abusing him and all that kind of stuff. And nah, doesn't seem. I think it right now it's it's shifted over to the force of this tunnel yeah. causing and influencing Daniel's disappearance. Absolutely. Trisha shares that she uh, was also seeing things as well that it felt real. Callie continues to argue that th- that there are myths, legends, and folklore. Trisha believes that it is easier to accept a horrible fantasy than the truth. Callie raises the- her voice that every culture in history have have had mythologies about creatures and spirit people, um, and spirit people away, or spiriting people away. Trisha still isn't w- uh, willing to believe it. Callie shouts um, shouts out. A few myths, knowing that it is a common threat to all of this. She calms down, trying to explain dark matter and other dimensions, thinking if any if everything is made of atoms, they are mostly empty space. How is everything solid? Knowing that things go missing in the in this neighborhood for as long as history has recorded it. Those things turning up in the tunnel. Trisha sighs that she loves her. They are interrupted by a knock on the door. Daniel's parents are there. Ruth comes in hugging Trisha, asking where he is. His dad, Mitch, calls out for him. She invites him in, um, she invites them inside to sit down and she spills, uh, the beans about Daniel going missing. Um, they are crying, they are crying together from the news. Callie upstairs in the room, lying on her bed. She walks, she wakes back up from sirens blaring outside. Loner Gan frantically knocks on Trisha's door. Not, um, the not getting an answer right away she opens the door asking him uh what's happening he tells her that she that he needs to speak with he needs to speak to Callie because they found a body in the tunnel and they need her to identify it why she's now working with the police so like, i guess so like jesus christ you were the last known person to have told us a story about a random you met in this tunnel. Please come identify this random person you met as the random person you met before. Yeah. Did you do that for me? Like that, that was so interesting. Believing that it is Daniel, she runs over to the scene as, as he chases after her. He's like, ma'am, no, ma'am. And I'm like, you mean to tell me you can't catch up to this pregnant lady? Like you can't catch up to her? <laughs> A crowd of people are um, standing behind a police lines as Loner Gan escorts her over, asking where Callie is. She quickly uh, reveals that she's inside the house, the body on the ground mangled in a pool of blood. Trisha runs in, um, runs underneath the police tape. Mallory um, catching uh, catching her. Callie, excuse me. Trisha runs underneath the police line. Ca- uh, Miller, Mal- Mallory catching her. Callie goes behind uh, running underneath as well to help identify the body. Callie reveals that that is Walter, his son Jamie, screaming as he tries getting to his dad. Fuck. This was great. Shout out Flanagan's brother. Super heartbreaking. Yeah, the fact that he was, 
Why wasn't he asked to identify where where was he in the contact list? Well, I guess like we don't know if it's Walter, right? At this point, or they don't maybe know that it's Walter. But I feel like if you would have have that assumption and then taken to the hospital and be like, okay, let's say this is Walter. Look him up, just how she did. Like a quick Google search, I mean, she found him like that. Didn't fall short here, but I, I, the set of steps they took to identify that man was not accurate. <laughs> hey, I'm going to need you to identify this mangled, terrible, horrific body that's probably going to give you PTSD for the rest of your life. <laughs> a crowd of people... Uh, oh, excuse me, I've read that part already. Um, Trisha runs... Oh, read the part too. Uh, the cops stop him and moving him to the ground. They open the bags to find a dog inside. And this is where you get the context that when they found animal bones inside of Daniel, they were most likely dog bones. Oh, sure. Because you saw Jamie already putting down a bag when she was bringing back some of the jewels or when Callie was. And that bag was moving a little bit. That is true. We didn't realize at that point what the heck was in there. He thought it was insects. thought it was maybe the who knows. Yeah. No. Yeah, definitely. They arrest and interrogate him. Lonergan admitting that he doesn't want to help, want to keep him there, uh, keep him there in, in for another minute. Bringing up his dad, Jamie cutting him off for a Tojuso moment. Lonergan apologizes to him, but wanting to know why he found a dog in a, in a bag on him, especially since there's a lot of animals going missing. Jamie shakes his head that he just wants to go home. Lonergan knows that he, uh, he could ask his neighbors about the break-ins and they would just probably say Jamie is a good guy. Jamie just wants to go to sleep. <laughs> Lonergan uh, wanting him to give him anything that will send him home or get the help that he needs. Jamie Jamie laughs that he came he came to him for help and they couldn't help him. Explaining if they want to help to just help him get um, get him out of there as soon as possible so he can start arranging his father's burial. He agrees and wraps it up. Fuck. <laughs> Cuts to Callie going to, into Trisha's room, knocking on the, on uh, her doorframe while, while she meditates. She asks her how the meditation is going. Trisha admits that it's going well, inviting her to sit down. She sits next to Trisha, asking her um, how, it, how it works. Trisha explains that you try, try to free yourself from attachments and sources of suffering, trying to find nirvana, Callie answering the, uh, the meaning of it being nothing. Trisha chuckles to understand the attention of oblivion. They uh, both start meditating, but Callie doesn't want to close her eyes because all she sees is Walter's body. Trisha thinks so as well, but she's grateful that it wasn't Daniel. Callie shares that the, that the church calls them uh, victim souls explaining that some people um some people that god allows the devils uh the devils and the, that the devil and the demons to do to do their thing and torment them as if they're destined for torment for some great reward in heaven trisha apologizes for calling her a prodigal and hitting her with tears in her eyes callie admits that she was that she is though Trisha, uh, Trisha believes that she sometimes had ha- had the right idea by pointing herself, uh, by pointing herself towards some unknown horizon to get untangled. I mean, did she though? She went to drugs. No, she did not go to the proper. And the fact that she's claiming Christianity and still has the the drug use 
obviously. I mean, it didn't put her in the best state of mind. I think she's getting educated, which helps make the make better decisions. I agree. Yeah, I, I I do feel like that we are seeing some type of uh, fault in this moment, right? Where she is starting to understand that, like, okay, no, I am at fault. Like, I am those things that you called me. You're right. Like, I need to get my shit together kind of thing. And I, 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 I do applaud her for taking that fault as well. Yeah, I mean, the meditation and, and the fact that she's seeing Walter right now, I don't know if that is playing on uh, that that demonic portion she just mentioned, but like I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, is she inferring that Daniel was meant for demonic and you know to torment to get a greater reward in heaven? Maybe. Like, so why I- was that brought up? I don't know. Like that was interesting. Um, of that being brought up, I don't know. That was interesting. It was. It was definitely super interesting. As to like, maybe this is his destiny, kind of thing. Maybe he's meant to be back and forth and go missing and so on and so forth. That was super interesting to me. That's that seems like, yeah. The NSA stories. Maybe he was meant for torment. <laughs> okay, uh, you freaking, you are demonic. You are demonic. Thinking that. Did you, what did you, did you put like a spell on him? This turns into like a cult film at this point. I put a spell on you. <laughs> oh, you're mine. Which we found out that Doug Jones also was in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real cool shit. She cries that she, um, that she never thought less of her for whatever escapes she was trying to, f- that whatever escapes that she was trying to find. Admitting that she's done with this one, it being night and day for what's what she set out for. Callie hugs her as she continues sobbing, not knowing it uh, was going to be like this. She sobs as they hug each other. or Yeah, she sobs as they both hug each other. Both the sisters are downstairs turning out the light for the night. Right as, as they are walking upstairs, they hear the chirping sound in the living room. Callie calls out to Trisha as she stares into the dark room, something creaking toward her in the darkness, a loud chirping noise as something grabs her. Inside the police station, Mallory groans as he rubs his temples. He asks if Lonergan uh, wants to get a drink, but he can't. Callie walks into the station holding back tears. He calls for Mallory's attention. They take her into the interrogation room, lighting a cigarette for her as she, as she shakes. They ask her to explain one more time. She, rec- she recounts the events, but it is inaudible. Flashes of her holding on to Trisha as she is getting dragged into the tunnel. Lord, uh, Lonergan doesn't believe her about to explain that their cops found found a box Melly interrupts asking her if she if she thinks that she hadn't heard excuse me Mallory interrupts asking her if she thinks that he hadn't heard about her and I was like whoa what the fuck does that mean <laughs> and the company that she keeps wondering if a deal went bad Lonergan tries to back him off but he continues asking until she, until he stops Lonergan explains that uh, they will need to draw her blood and question her a lot more. Her being a person of interest, questioning if if she plans on leaving town soon. Mallory commenting that in uh, it never stopped her before. Lonergan um, wants her to file the missing persons report before uh, before they continue. And she even like is like, 
wasn't planning on it. Like when he asked if she's going to leave town, she's like, uh, no, that right. wasn't my assume that because she's moved around a lot. Right. She's about to dip. Exactly. You're in a bad spot. You're not going to be here. I'm sure by tomorrow. Absolutely. Maybe that's just her history. Yeah. Um, cuts her in the back seat of the cruiser, loner again, um, dropping her off, telling her to stay close. She gets out of the car, stare, staring at the tunnel up ahead. Callie gets to work, printing out all, all the articles and placing them inside of a folder, writing Mallory's name on it and adding the children's book inside. She prays one last time before heading out to the living room, staring out of the window. She begins to sob. Now night, Callie leaves out of the apartment and heads over towards the tunnel. She stops at the entrance of the tunnel, gaining enough courage to go inside. She cautiously moves um, through the tunnel, calling out for uh, for a trade. No response. She shouts. She shouts it multiple times until she hears faint screaming from from both a man and from both a man and a woman. She hears the chirping noise and faint screams continue from inside the walls. Rustling noises are all around her until she hears something squelch behind her. She looks back at the gore of a fetus. Squelch count. Oh my god. That fetus was also in Daniel-esque form. It was. Just completely blurred. Absolutely you get blurry. enough detail where you see the umbilical cord and multiple things are going through my head. Also kind of easy to miss though, right? Like you, kind of easy for for you to be like, what is that kind of thing? For sure, if you don't pause it, it almost just looks like a bag of gore. Yeah, the goods or some kind of blood. I mean, she looks at it right. and it makes and it she's obvious. She's like, like, <gasps> like, like she like kind of turns her head in like absolute disgust, like fuck. But like this brings me back to my point earlier of when Daniel like reached into her stomach, right? Like, I wonder if this is a classification of that as well, or or if that is some type of a product of what he did. Or what this thing did in the form of Daniel. Cause I feel like that this definitely had to be the form of Daniel when or the, the this thing appeared to her as the form of Daniel. I feel like that that actually did happen. But I don't know, could be wrong. Turning around, trying to gain her composure, a, a guttural growl from behind her. She tries making a run to the exit, her shoe being the only thing that makes it past the darkness. The next day, Mallory finds the envelope that was left uh, for him by Callie. He quickly go he. He quickly gores through it. He quickly goes through it, pulling out the book. Callie wrote, quote, beware the things underneath, end quote, on the cover. He sits outside as two cops inaudibly speak to him. Back at the station, Lonergan calls out to him, telling him that they they will keep the case indefinitely open. He knows. Lonergan continues telling him that it isn't about the, uh, it, it isn't about speculating, but rather what they, what they don't know. While speaking with Lonergan, Mallory is putting up missing person, uh, missing person posters of Callie and Trisha. Lonergan adding that they, that they do know that they live down the street from a man, um, exhibiting signs of a serial killer. And sorry for if you hear the background noise outside, they're picking up trash for, God knows what reason at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> Mallory jumping on Jamie and then... I guess so. 
Uh, Mallory jumping on on Jamie in the interrogation room as he screams that he doesn't know. Flashes of Jamie strangling um, Callie. Back with Mallory explaining that uh, that they know that he had bills piling up and that Trisha uh, could could just walk away. The scene jumping back to where him and Trisha in the car, repeating that she uh, repeating what she told him before they kiss. He explains that Trisha could live on the land and that she uh, used to camp on her own. Lonergan adds um, adds Callie. Mallory going over her history with with her uh, drug abuse and that she's a runaway. Them not knowing what baggage she brought back. Damn, dude is fucking mad salty about Callie being back in the picture. Lonergan theorizes that they could have possibly taken off together, but Mallory doesn't believe that. Why? Why is that so far-fetched? I mean, they are sisters. Right. But she loved Mr. Mallory. I mean, Mallory looks like, sounds like he loved her a lot more than she loved him. For sure. (laughs) He's willing to ride or die. Yeah. Um, Daniel or no Daniel. That kid is mine. Right. Which, fair. <laughs> Very fair. Um, Lonergan admits that, uh, admits that he can't, he can't think of all those particular scenarios. And he's like, and I don't know how you came up with all that shit yourself. Um, but, uh, but that doesn't diminish, um, the scenario of Callie coming back. Mallory believes it does. Continuing that stranger, stranger things have happened. Um, people get lost and found. Him not thinking the worst of them. While putting, excuse me, while putting up the uh, flyers, he, he sees Callie creepily standing inside the tunnel with her head tilted. He goes over to the entrance of the tunnel, not seeing anything inside, so he decides to walk away. From Callie's point of view, she's, um, she's staring back at him, watching as he walks away. The creature chirping as it puts its spindly fingers over her shoulder. Then, credits. This is rad. <laughs> this is yes. rad. Like this, this was so much fun. It's like, a ride. It's an absolute ride. Absolute fucking ride. And like it, and it, it completely kind of catches you off guard on how this film is going to be. And again, I'm really, I believe. Looking into the backstory, some of the building blocks of this yeah. film really gave it more of an honorable watch. I agree because, like this, this film definitely had some growing pains, right? Like, so, like it not growing pains, but it had some pains of like filming because the the way that this stuff was filmed, like it had to be filmed in Mike Flanagan's apartment. Mike Flanagan used all his friends, and like. They made such a big deal for finally getting enough in their budget to afford Doug Jones. It was just so scrappy, and it really puts a good, a good feeling as to the the final product. These, it was one of those things. They they were they didn't have they didn't have a full idea of what they wanted to do. Right? They had they had they, were, they, of, they just thought they were like 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 fuck like I just we're just gonna make raise fifteen thousand dollars. We got a tunnel, and we're gonna we make got a movie. Characters. Let's. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. The screen screenplay was written in uh, was it multiple different days? I think yeah. it was. It was it shot was, over fifteen days. It was entirely. shot shot in fifteen days, and the the screenplay was written sporadically, where he would send um, Mike Flanagan would send it to the producer who was also played Daniel. Um, what what was his name again? Um, Morgan Peter Brown, who also played Daniel as well, 
um, it was sent to the producer in chunks where he was pretty much writing it on the spot and sending it to him via email. And, and 20 minutes later, he'll send him another half. And I bet you Mike Flanagan has learned from this particular film what to do and what not to do. Oh, oh fuck yeah. It probably was one of the bigger learning curves that... He even mentioned that, like, I would never film my apartment again. Like, that's one thing for sure. But, like, it, it definitely, like... And I feel like that's the thing about Mike Flanagan that I really, really love. Every single project that he's done, he's learned something from that project and has kind of shifted slightly um with those projects where in in some ways it feels like his work is um untraceable because like each piece is different except for like hill house and bly manor like those definitely feel like they're the same the same vein but with something like if you go from hush to gerald's game if you go from um oculus to dr sleep these movies don't feel like they're made from the same person he feels like john carpenter in some ways oh yes uh, you took the words right out right of my mouth i mean halloween one of the best series yeah could ever have lived absolutely i mean and, and on top of like that was like john carpenter if we even think about it like john carpenter d- doing something like a slasher that is so pinnacle like Halloween and then having a fucking full shift to cosmic horror. Like, I feel like Mike Flanagan could pull that shit off too. Like, like he, and he can, he's done it. He's pulled it off. He's, he's, he's done a slasher film, which was hush. And he's, he's made a vampire show. Like it, shit like that is so fucking cool to me. Absentia was certainly one of the, better films that you could see that doesn't involve such dramatic death and gore. Right. I agree. You get some gore, you get some blood, but it really isn't intense enough for you to squirm and squeam away, look away. Yeah. I think it's just enough. Yeah. And like I said, it's the best, it's the best B movie you'll probably ever get. Cause like it is just, it's such I think a, it got better with multiple watches to be very honest. It does. It absolutely does. Like in, I remember when I first saw it in college, I was just like, wow, that was super average, but that was awesome. And then I didn't, I haven't seen it in years until it was on shutter. And I was like, fuck, I'm gonna pop this in again. Like, I remember this, it was my very first Mike Flanagan thing that I watched and I've watched Mike Flanagan's work in order. And like it, I, I find that to be so amazing. The only thing that I haven't seen of his was actually his short film, which was Oculus Part Three, um, the Man with the Plan. I haven't seen that. The Man but with the Plan. Anyway, I got some movie facts for movie us here before facts. <laughs> at around thirty-six minutes, when Trisha and Callie go looking at apartments around the midpoint of the film, the first empty apartment they visit was actually the very apartment that director Mike Flanagan lived in with four other people. When he moved to Los Angeles in two thousand and three, it was a complete coincidence. The unit just happened to be vacant, and Flanagan had no idea they'd be filming there until they arrived on location that morning. Are you fucking kidding me? That is so cool. I wonder how much he got for that apartment. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Probably good fucking dirt cheap. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> funded in part by over three hundred donors on the crowdfunding website Kickstarter.com, the filmmakers set to raise fifteen thousand dollars over the course of their thirty uh, day pledge drive and ended up raising twenty five thousand uh, dollars, more than one third of the final uh, budget. Mike Flanagan wrote the first draft of the screenplay in two sittings. There you go. 
Yeah, and I, back on that first one where they funded it from the donors, they did a really great job of marketing. Marketing. I did yeah. not see any of those vlogs, any of the videos that they produced to get the the buzz around it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see any of that either. But like the their marketing was fucking on point. It was. It was definitely on point. They were making waves. Uh, at around two, at around twenty three minutes, the mirror hanging on the wall when Trisha is talking to the psychiatrist, psychiatrist is a mirror from Mike Flanagan's short film Oculus Chapter Three: The Man with the Plan, also starring Scott Graham, who is the psychiatrist. Um, which fuck yeah. Okay. Okay. First appearance of the of the mirror from Oculus 2013 and Oculus Chapter Three: The Man with the Plan, um, in 2006 is at the 23 minute and 18 18 second mark. So there you go. Um, this is, is technically a story of an updated version of Billy Goat's Gruff. Thought that was kind of cool, right? That is a, that is a children's book. Yeah, where the three Billy Goats have to cross a bridge with the troll with the underneath. troll underneath. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. I like the analogies. Me too. When Callie is lying on the couch at about um, 19 minutes, I think, or seconds, at 19 minutes, uh, she's reading the comic book version of The Dark Tower by Marvel Comics based on the book series by Stephen King. Mike Flanagan, the director of this movie, later went to uh, direct Doctor Sleep based on Stephen King's sequel to The Shining. Maybe 19 seconds? I don't know. I feel like we don't see her that fast, do we? I don't know. Anyway, that was a fucking blast and I want to keep this conversation going because god damn oh there it is so it is 19 minutes um I want to definitely keep this conversation going. You can head over to our Twitter at nightlight underscore pod or you can head over to our Discord um which is in the show notes. We have a lot of fun in there. So come on in, join us, talk to us, let's talk about some movies and shit. Cool shit. Fun. Um but next month for June we are going to be discovering animals that kill, starting with crawl. This month is going to be silly as fuck because this grief month was a kind of heavy one. So we're going to be lighthearted a little bit, but I'm very excited to fucking revisit crawl. I mean, animals that start to turn against the human population. Definitely. It's fun. Always are pretty fun. Really far-fetched, <laughs> out-of-this-world type of attitude with tons of squelching usually a lot of squelching squelch meter will be there squelch count, <laughs> it's coming to you squelch count coming soon but this was nightlight also shout out to you drew thank you for being on the show thank you for doing this before we even officially conclude thank you thank you night absolutely but this was nightlight a horror movie podcast i was one of your hosts prince also known as head night alongside me we had drew always keeping it silent Ooh. Always and forever, also known as Silent Night. Our efforts to get the shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what the by pleasure on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. The episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.